A long time ago, in a galaxy pretty much identical to this one, some pointy-headed nerds built the foundation of the internet. One of those pointy-headed nerds was the CEO of Mozilla, a co-founder of the Firefox browser, and the creator of JavaScript. Today, he is the creator of the Brave browser, a wonderful privacy-based alternative to Chrome and the rest of the corporate browsers. His name is Brendan Ike, and he joins us to discuss the early days of the web, the mess that he helped create, and how he is helping to clean it up and lead us into a decentralized Web3 world. Join us for a discussion with this brave legend on our Pioneers Get All the Arrows, episode number 653 of the Bad Crypto Podcast. Five, four, three, two, one, two, ignition. Who's bad? Greetings, brave journeymen and journeywomen and journey persons. And Journey is a really good band, even like after Steve Perry. It's the Bad Crypto Podcast, the show for the crypto curious and the crypto serious. That is brave Sir Lord Travis Wright, and I am also brave Sir Lord Joel Calm. Mm -hmm. And you are brave fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. And Joel's just a city boy, born and raised in near Chicago. Very nice. This one, this is a fun episode, guys. I mean, long time coming on this one. I don't know. I, Joe and I were having a conversation after we interviewed uh, Brendan, and we were like, hmm, who is comparable to this guy, right? This guy essentially was one of the guys who helped build the browser the way we know it, right? I mean, mm-hmm. he invented JavaScript. He, yeah. he was really early in Netscape, which Netscape was – an evolution of Mosaic, which was the was the very first that I know of, right? And then went on to create Mozilla and Firefox, and then I mean, in Brave, this this dude is an internet legend. He's a pioneer of Web One, Web Two, and now Web Three. And we got him on Bad Crypto, and we're bringing him to you. And it, what's really interesting about it is you discover some of the mistakes he made along the way. That was kind of oops, especially as it came to tracking. Um, people's mm-hmm. behavior and how that turned into a really bad thing. But then he talks about what he's doing to fix it. I think you guys are really going to enjoy uh, this here discussion with the one and only Brendan Ike. It's been more than a hot minute since we have talked about the Brave browser. And in fact, we've been talking about the Brave browser for five and five years, I would say, of hot minutes as a alternative to using evil Google Chrome on your uh, your computer. If you want to keep your data and your privacy, it's the way to go. This is not a paid advertisement. This is not a commercial. This is um, actual recommendations because we use Brave, we like it, and what really excites us is today we have the CEO and co-founder of Brave, Brendan Ike, is joining us right now. We're going to talk about all kinds of things. Brendan, welcome to the Bad Crypto Podcast. Don't forget that. Oh, yes. yeah, Netscape thing, that Mozilla thing, but most important, Micro Unity. Yeah, he's he's got quite a background. Uh, you were the um, uh, CTO, then CEO of Mozilla. 
and you helped launch the Firefox browser, and you're also the inventor of JavaScript, which is the world's most popular programming language. So, you know, that little thing happened, and, and uh, then, of course, you founded the Brave browser. So why, why found Brave? Go ahead and tell us your reasons, especially after having launched a successful browser in Firefox that you thought, we need Brave. Right. So when we did Firefox, uh, we were not as conscious about privacy as we are now. And we did this uh, search deal with Google, which at the time was a great search engine and hadn't become a a big um, alphabet company full of all sorts of um, different businesses that all seem to be lost leaders for the ad exchange business, which is the main Mm. revenue leg of Google. We also, uh, in Firefox, we let the uh, privacy uh, conscious users build extensions for themselves and then grow those extensions. We called them add-ons back in the day. So when I left Mozilla, I I sat for a long time thinking about two big problems. One is that browsers, if they get successful, tend to be captured by a big tech company, like a search company, which is really an ad exchange like Google, or in the 90s by an operating system company, which is really a Word and Excel office suite company, and that was Microsoft. And... I also wanted to help users have a direct say in not only their privacy, but sort of economics on the web. And users, if they're just eyeballs to be um, counted in favor of, you know, ad traffic or ad revenue, they're not treated as, as first parties or principals in the economics. They're just kind of farm animals that get sheared of wool every spring and shiver. Uh, and, that's how people in the 90s talked about uh, users. They were eyeballs. You were monetizing eyeballs. You know, user attention was creating a new data economy. Data was the new oil, which is a nonsense statement if I've ever heard one. And uh, with Brave, I wanted to do something that was much more direct. It put users directly in the revenue share for private ads if they wanted. It allowed them to directly transact on blockchains with other parties. If you send money to people, support your favorite YouTuber. So, you know, the disintermediated fan creator economy that's risen uh, was on my mind. And and to do both of those things, privacy and uh, I would say direct economic user first uh, participation required thinking about how to marry uh, cryptocurrencies and security, including privacy. Right on. So, you know, it's always been fascinating, you know, being Joel and I have both been in the internet since the beginning, really. I mean, Joel was one of the first, what, 10,000 websites that was created or something like that with, with World Village. I got online in, in, in 96, but I'd been paying attention to things. And so, you know, I remember AOL buying Netscape. I remember when, when, when Bill Gates didn't even think that Netflix, that Netscape was even something to be concerned about, and they didn't even have a browser yet. So these are... These are re- yeah. this is really early on. So you you're you're really early on in web 1. I would almost say you were in web point 5, right? <laughs> Mosaic became Net, Netscape. Mm-hmm. I keep wanting to say Netflix. If I say Netflix just smack me. It's not intentional. So it's like what what did that really early internet sort of teach you because you were the, like the chief architect. You were building stuff really early with 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 Netscape. So how did that sort of form and 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 maybe how did that get into JavaScript? Because you create, you built some really kick-ass foundational things for the internet that we all use today, and many of us probably take that for granted. 
Well, thank you. As, as you mentioned, I was at MicroUnity one more year than I should have been. So I missed the founding of Netscape. I came in the second year, pretty much second um, chronological year of age. And I did JavaScript in a big hurry because uh, it wasn't clear with Java, the big brother language from Sun, to people at Netscape and to most people at Sun that we needed JavaScript. But uh, Mark Andreessen of Netscape and Bill Joy of Sun and I argued that we did for the same reason that Microsoft had Visual Basic as well as Visual C++ in its stack. So you had one scripting language that was dynamic and easier to use for a great number of people to use to glue things together, build apps, patch things. And you had a, a more expert language for the component builders. So that was the idea behind JavaScript. But to just recapture the feeling of the, the early web, the web one days, the PC was dominant. We all sat in front of big bottle monitors. We played Quake, right, uh, after Doom. Um, we were on LANs. We, we didn't ha necessarily have great home internet connectivity. AOL had CD bombed the country to get people online through dial-up and people were starting to get you know faster you know um discrete multi-tone whatever it's called i, I found one of those recently by the way i yeah. found the old floppy disk i was like oh my god this one is super early <laughs> but one of the things this meant was you had to be your own system administrator of your home pc and that was hard for a lot of people but it was good in the sense that you didn't just rent the device from an Apple or a Google and they treated it like theirs and, and you were just the sheep to shear of the wool, like I said earlier, you really were a participant. You would buy games especially, but all other apps, productivity apps, security apps, you would go down to Fry's and buy stuff, right? So this was more of a, of a user sovereign world. It was the, the world where you could do your own thing, you could upgrade your graphics card, you could try stuff, you know, you, you could participate in, in um, hacking on software for the PC. And when I did JavaScript, it became very easy for people to hack on websites in a way that was programmed. It was enlivened with, you know, dynamic responses, that, not just on the server side, but on the client side. And so what we were trying to do with Netscape was make the web lively and useful. We wanted to have images. That was done at Mosaic in 93. We wanted to have cookies so you could log into your bank and then navigate around your different account views without having to log in every time because the HTTP protocol was stateless. So it would not remember who you were and there was no way without cookies to keep track of you. So in some ways you could say tracking was invented through the cookie, but it was a good kind of tracking. It was the first party, the site you go to intentionally, the site you need to know is really your bank and not an imposter phishing mm -hmm. site. And that's still true to this day. So that was what cookies were for. What we didn't think about, and it dawned on us at Netscape a year late and people wanted to fix it, but it was too late, was that between images and cookies, there was an easy way to trap users across the web and build up a, a profile on them. And, and then that became something that was, that was leveraged by, you know, big tech and say, okay, we can, we totally can weaponize lovely. this, um, not just for ad dollars, but against our so-called enemies. It was leveraged in many ways, and, and that term is used in finance. It was even used that way because a lot of the tricks that were used with, with ad tech were sort of like financial trickery or, or you know, promising um, something for nothing. And, and when advertising technology evolved, and, and Google was a big part of this, but there was always a big sea of vendors out there in the so-called Lumascape, uh, they all depended on these things from the 90s, the image, the cookie, and scripts, JavaScript. And so I created a monster. 
<laughs> so yeah, as you see, you inadvertently created something and you were like, well, so, so was this a moment where you're like, wow, there's some karma li lingering out there. I better do something to kind of unravel this. And is that what you thought when you then went over to Mozilla? I think with Mozilla, we, we definitely wanted to take back the web and show that the browser was not going to be Internet Explorer on Windows forever, which is what people would say. They'd say, oh, you can't launch a new browser and get traction. Microsoft cornered the market and you should just give up. And they were wrong. We showed that with Firefox. We restarted the market. We showed Sergey Brin in particular and, and Larry Page of Google, and they, they liked it so much they made Chrome eventually. Um, and Safari at the same time, Steve Jobs saw the value of the web. So Safari was uh, around the same time as Firefox um, 0 0.9 or 8. Yeah. Uh, because it wasn't like because Bill Gates and Explorer, there was no, he's like, all right, then he finally built Explorer. And then it got up to like 90 something percent of 95. the people were, 95% of the people were using that. So of course they needed an alternative because I remember the floods. I, as soon as I found out about Firefox, I was gone. Boom, I'm moving. Yeah, pop-ups, remember that? Lack of tabs and mm -hmm. ActiveX and other security holes. Microsoft walked away from IE. They put it under uh, care of a skeleton crew because they thought they could go back and do Windows Vista and get good old fashioned monopoly walk-in like they had in the 90s. And they totally missed the web 2.0 so-called, that's what John and Tim called it, um, but the point oh, which is kind of nerdy, uh, revolution that was happening through JavaScript and, and Moore's Law and browser innovation like in Firefox and Safari and, and Opera. And they also missed mobile, right? Even though they were doing things with Nokia, they missed the iPhone. So Microsoft, in my view, miscalculated, but they, they definitely, after becoming a monopoly power with the browser, they just abandoned Internet Explorer. They left it rotting and now they've got edge which is a stupid you know browser that they they bundle with the machine and of course chrome became dominant uh firefox you know yep. certainly had its share but chrome became dominant uh google is evil they they removed the, the new monopoly yep. and they're a monopoly and there, you don't there's no reason to use google chrome it's harder to get off gmail and docs and calendar and i'm working on it myself but it's easy to get off chrome because brave is a great alternative and now, you know when i started using it there was probably i don't know maybe a million or so half a million users now you've got 60 million active users a month i mean and and that's still just a drop in the bucket for what it, it needs is. to be for people to reclaim their privacy yeah, and you're right. We have to make it easy to get off Chrome, which, you know, in this world we live in, when you have some open source project like um, Mozilla or what Steve Jobs forked into WebKit, <laughs> which was originally called KHTML, uh, and then Chrome forked into Blink, part of the Chromium project, there's a, a sort of successful set of genes there. It's almost like, you know, uh, immune system genes or disease resistance genes. And those are not going to die. So people sometimes complain, Brave's built on Chromium, the open source uh, that Google runs to build Chrome. And, but it's also what Edge is built on. Uh, Samsung browser is built on it. Yandex, Opera, many others. So my, my point here is that there's successful sort of open source DNA and, and we all share it and use it. And some of it goes back to Mozilla. So it's not all Google. And a lot of it goes back to Apple WebKit. But then there's what you do with the product that gives the user a fair deal. And that is something Google will not do. They're still talking about blocking so-called third-party cookies. Those are the ones from the embedded invisible pixels and scripts that track you. And 
they, they just kicked the can down the road again, delayed when they said they'll get rid of third-party cookies. Almost every other browser out there now does protect you to some degree from those tracking cookies. Brave does the best job, but uh, it's become standard, except for Chrome, because Google is fundamentally this big ad exchange business. I actually wish, Joel, that you would have uh, worn your I'll have those cookies. Yeah, with the <laughs> internet cookies shirt you have? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I got my psycho bunny <laughs> on instead. So. <laughs> no, that's good. So, you know, now here we are, you have Brave. What would you sort of, you know, it says uh, it's private, it's it's better. Why? Let's say somebody's tuning in and listen to Bad Crypto because they don't even know. Right? We haven't talked about Brave for probably a year or so. I know Joel mentions it sometimes. It's like, because he doesn't use Chrome at all. Actually, on my computer downstairs, I... Don't really use Chrome, but up here only Chrome was on, so I'm actually I'm on Chrome right now. Uh, but I, I haven't had to, haven't had Brave downloaded yet. But now I just got it downloaded. What okay. what would you say to people as to why you want to get on this? What's that What's that that action for them, and why would they even care? Right. So Brave blocks all privacy threats by default, and there's tons of them in the web, not just third party cookies. There's fingerprinting methods. There's redirect bounce trackers. There's all sorts of crazy, hairy um, surface on the web APIs that can be used mm -hmm. for tracking. And it can also be used for good if you go to a site like your bank where you want to have that trusted relationship. So you have to block the bad but keep the good. This is an ongoing research and development agenda. We do it, and you see it in the product in the form of Brave Shields. It's the lion shield at the right end of the address bar. And mm -hmm. that's, that's the privacy part of Brave. Right next to it is the VAT logo. That's the basic attention token. That's the dealing the user in through Brave Rewards part of Brave's uh, user value proposition. But we, we made privacy on by default and the web standards didn't. I'm sorry, Netscape didn't. We kind of missed the boat. Even Firefox did not make privacy on by default. Safari, probably due to Jobs, did. They did private windows as an option in Safari before they were added to Firefox and they're now standard in all browsers. These are windows that just forget your, your history and your don't save any cookies after you close the window. Uh, and, and that's not enough. It doesn't give you network privacy. It doesn't protect you from, from this tracking uh, and privacy threat that is out there through ads. So we've made privacy by default happen for all the tracking threats. This, this blocks all the ads. We block the YouTube pre-roll ads. So Brave is the best YouTube app out there, by the way. This is something people are starting to appreciate. Ha, 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 ha. Adds, adds more ads. Yeah, nice. as they overload the ads to push you into YouTube Premium, people are saying, "Hey, Brave does this already. I can block ads for free." Yeah, I hate that. I, I literally, oh, sign up for a month free. I'm like, no, I'm not going to ever sign up for no, So, never. so basically, Brave is sort of like an antivirus malware protection tool, completely. That's right. In fact, malware went into ad tech. The malware distributors wanted to get machines taken over for ransomware, originally for botnet conversion to do ad fraud. So they would put little exploit kit scripts hidden inside real ads they would pay to run uh, in, in cheap slots on online sites. And that was, that's one of the threats we blocked. So there are actual dangers out there. You know, people could track you, surveil you, spy on you or bully you. There's, there's malware distribution too. But just the privacy rate also hurts you because we hear about data breaches every year. So all these ad tech vendors are trying to profile you for their own business, their own exit to some bigger company, their own return on the venture capital investment. Most of that's dying now and, and it's consolidated around Google and a few other big players, Facebook, Meta. Um, but this privacy cost is not just 
that you might have a data breach or you feel spied on, you feel retargeted by creepy ads. It's also that those scripts that keep running to target you and place those ads burn your battery, especially on mobile, because they're running the radio a lot more, like 40% more than if you block them. And so you get a real performance win in page load and rendering. You get a real battery savings with Brave. And this has been measured independently by an outfit in the UK called Green Spectre. In 2019, they showed a nice chart on Android. Brave was the, the winner in terms of battery savings. And our own research team studied this and came to the same results. So it's an honest result. We block so many scripts and reduce the traffic on the net. And this also could eat into your data plan if you pay for that. Uh, and everybody does pay ultimately somehow that there's a real savings to the privacy. The privacy means power or battery savings. It means faster page load performance. Well, and there's a lot of things that are built into the browser that, that I really like when you go to the settings. Um, you know, I like that you continue where you left off. You can easily import all your bookmarks from you know wherever you have them so you can go to chrome and export your whole html file and import them and organize them here uh, you've got rewards for if you decide to watch ads uh, but you've also got you know a built-in wallet you've got built-in ipfs which is useful for right. nfts this is there's a lot of functionality all i've i've only encountered i think one um chrome extension that didn't work in my brave browser but ever all the extensions for all my wallets and in uh LastPass and all those things metamask they all work great they should we took out the google account system support that extensions can use but most don't because that's actually a tracking vector too when, when google realized that people weren't logging in to um the browser you used to be able to log into chrome in the upper right corner they said well darn it we'll just log you in to our you know the browser Anytime you log in in any tab to YouTube or Gmail or one of our other login services, and that tracks you across all tabs. So Google turned Chrome into spyware. They made it part of their ad business. And I can understand this. They have to do this as a public company, but that's the opposite of what we want. So we ripped out all that, that Google account tracking, and that may be what broke that extension you mentioned. So I want to talk a little bit more about mobile, right? Because it would seem to me that you're using desktop or you're on a laptop, Brave is a great solution, but if you're using your mobile device, which everyone is, it almost seems like Brave is pretty much the only solution because it speeds everything up. It kills your battery less, right? So it's like you yeah. can maybe talk a bit more about mobile because I think that's just completely brilliant what you guys are doing. Yeah, that's where the real battery savings comes in because all this ad scripting overload that we block really does run the radio. And the radio is the number one or two consumer of the battery. The screen is usually the number one consumer, but when you load a bunch of scripts in Chrome, it's gonna go crazy on your radio and that's gonna drain the battery. So it's also gonna delay page load. Sometimes because the mobile web came later, a lot of the publishers didn't update their designs. Well, many have by now, but you'd have pages on mobile that would never load because of all this crazy scripting and ad tech. Uh, so we block all that and there's a huge savings to your battery. It, makes the page load faster. It's much more responsive. We do a great job with YouTube. So I, I do my, I keep an eye on the YouTube app just for misery and to see what the ad pre-roll ads are and keep up with the Joneses, but it's a bad app. So in Brave, we have something, uh, we're bringing to Android, it's already on iOS called Playlist. If you load a YouTube video or another video on a different site, you'll see a button up in the address bar on the right to add the playlist. And you can open that video in the playlist and it for me, seamlessly switches over to a custom video player. There's no ads and you can save it for watching later. You can 
play it when you're offline on, on a train. You can do all sorts of things that you should be allowed to do. You cannot easily get the file out or pirate it, but that's okay. You're just viewing it. This is something that any web browser should be able to do with any web video that's put out in a standards way, standards conforming way without DRM. And that's what most of YouTube is. So playlist is something I encourage people to check out on iOS coming to Android. It's really great for YouTube. You can save it in playlist, watch it later. If you get interrupted, you don't have to worry about losing where you were in the YouTube mobile or web app. Um, it's in your playlist. Mm. I want to ask something, just, Joel, I want to follow up on this. Is uh, one of my favorite you know, online website apps that I've used, and I've actually worked with them in the past, is Cloudinary. And what I like about Cloudinary is like, if I'm on my mobile device, I don't need a high-res image to download. Right. I don't need a huge video to download. A lot of times these websites are so filled with just it's set up for something that's 4K. And here I am looking at it on something, you know, that's super <laughs> right. small. And so is that something you guys are, are going to be integrating or something similar to that? Because it's almost like the automatic resizing of things saves so much space. We've looked at it. Google used to have something like this, too. The problem is it's a huge privacy uh, problem if you don't do it right and you end up tracking what users are, are viewing by looking at how you have to transcode their images. You want to do it in a, in a way that's um, scaled across the world and efficient. So we keep looking at it and looking at partners like Cloudflare and trying to get the privacy right. But what, what we mainly benefit from is just blocking so much stuff. So we found, by the way, in doing something called Brave News, which is another one of those batteries included features in Brave, if you scroll up the bottom of a new tab page, you'll see a news feed and it's matched on your device, just like the private ads and rewards that you can opt into. And that private news feed is, is based on RSS feeds from around the web. Remember RSS? And it, it, it has um, privacy preserving properties. It doesn't just build up a, a dossier or profile of you on the server side. And uh, you can customize it. You can add your own feeds. You can take out some of the feeds that we think might be good for you. But the way we curate those is not by profiling you. It's just by sending catalogs down to you. Same with the private ads. And, and then letting local machine learning match, or in this case, very simple local logic, just match what your history seems to be against what you get in the news feed that includes all the news sources and just picks the ones that match your history. And that that's part of our toolkit here is to block things and to use a smarter way of getting content to you. And one of the things that uh, I wanted to mention about news that you, you inspired there is we do try to keep the images from being oversized. And sometimes we find news sites, like you said, are shipping the 4K down to the phone for no good reason. So we actually hack around that. So part of Brave's toolkit is to be a, a muscular client that has a lot of sort of smart filter rules that we can update quickly in a day or two to shield your privacy, to get the right image sizes to you, to block things and save your battery. So if um, I'm showing my screen here right now, and you can see on this browser, um, I've, I've uh, had 8,061 trackers and ads blocked, uh, saved 283.2 meg uh, of bandwidth in seven minutes of time. This is a computer I've had for just a few weeks. So this is a new install, yes. which is why my Brave Rewards are new. I just looked at my... Um, uh, my iPhone, and on here, my Brave browser says 96,000 trackers and ads blocked, almost three <laughs> gig of estimated data saved, an hour of time, and uh, and I've got rewards in my, my Brave wallet. 
as well. So let's talk a little bit about that, the, the rewards, uh, the, uh, the attention token and how we mm-hmm. earn that and how it's used within the ecosystem. So when I said I created the monster, I meant it. The worst part about um, JavaScript's role in ad tech was uh, that it, it, you know, was something where the, the browser was actually in, in the middle of all these ads being placed and all the tracking happening first that targeted you. And then depending on what ads you viewed or the cheating that they do to try to say that you viewed an ad when you didn't, uh, JavaScript was involved there too. So I felt like Dr. Frankenstein a bit, right? I had to kill my monster because that was not only draining your battery and exposing you to all the threats we talked about, you weren't a piece, you weren't dealt in as a, as a real person who should be given part of the revenue. So from the beginning with Brave, I wanted to deal the user in to show, not just tell, that we put the user first. A lot of, you know, upstart browsers and privacy products will say, you know, our privacy is the best and we put the user first, but it, talk is cheap. If we actually pay you at least as much we, as we get from the gross ad revenue, then that, I think, aligns our interests and avoids these conflicts of interest that the big tech companies have where they become adversarial toward their users in order to serve their shareholders and their bottom line. So uh, we do that with Brave Rewards. It's an optional system. We started out with Bitcoin and this was in 2016. We built a system where you could bring your own Bitcoin and you could send it to creators, website owners really who'd signed up with us. And it was pretty much uh, direct. It was through multi-sig uh, wallets that BitGo helped us with. So there was good security and no, no, no brave custody in the middle. It was like um, a two of three multi-sig scheme. But we found that between the Bitcoin block size issue and the congestion in 2017, and the fact that people want to hold Bitcoin, because if you had Bitcoin back then, <laughs> you don't want to send it to some, some random publisher. You want to keep it because it's worth a lot more now, even with current market. So uh, we realized we needed a, a, a new smart contract system and a new approach that included the browser as an element in the system, because you cannot do ads and attention and privacy on a blockchain. Public blockchains, unlike Zcash with shielded transactions, but in general, distributed public ledgers or decentralized public ledgers um, are public. Um, And that means that you can fingerprint the user by looking at transactions over time. Chainalysis does this. People discover who was behind the Mt. Gox hack or where the funds went, things like that. Uh, People are looking at where FTX got its funds and where they might have gone. so there's, there's a sort of problem for privacy if you try to do everything on chain. Also, like I said, it got expensive on Bitcoin in 2017, got expensive on Ethereum after that. So we always included the browser as sort of a ultimate edge in our decentralized system where each browser, each supercomputer in your pocket or your laptop can do a lot of local processing to match ads against the catalog and to mint zero knowledge proofs or, or, or sign you know, blind signature certificates and this is at low cost, but it can preserve your anonymity. It can keep you shielded and yet deal you into the, the revenue flow. And that's what we built with Brave Rewards. It's an opt-in private ad system. You can also add your own funds. You can tip or give a recurring monthly contribution to creators. We've got, I think, 1.3 million creators signed up. A lot of them are YouTubers because they either never got monetized or they got demonetized without being kicked off the platform. But YouTube's still where the videos are hosted well and the comments are. So we provide those creators an alternative means for their fans to support them. And that is the fan to creator direct flow I mentioned. And once uh, you form a relationship with that creator, you could even go direct through your self-custody brave wallet 
to their creator's wallet on chain, on a fast chain with low fees if you wanted to. So we're, we're paving the way toward usable self-custody and direct peer-to-peer crypto through Brave Rewards. We're getting users from a very large funnel up to 60 million. It's been fluctuating on the monthly active, so it's kind of a, a difficult number. I can explain more. And we're getting those users funneled into crypto. And in winter or summer or nuclear winter, where's whatever happened to FTX, whatever happened there, uh, it's causing a real chill right now. We, we're bullish on crypto. And we think in the long run, this is the right way to advance the user's interests above all the central powers. Yeah, just scroll down on your website, basic attention token. You can see you still have FTX there. So you need to change that to WTF. That'd be best. <laughs> probably be better. Yeah, it's a self-serve system. We're, we're going to try to decentralize it through NFTs, but it, it, they did verify, I think. But, but we have no other relationship with them on, on having an account with them or any assets with them. And I'm glad to say that because a lot of people are in big trouble now, unfortunately. Um, and it's, it's a real hit to crypto. Yeah. yeah so there's no exposure ask- for you. Okay. Right. I, I want to ask about advertising because I know some people said, well, wait a second. So Brave doesn't know anything really about me. How can they, you know, show me ads that are relevant to me? Because here I am when I'm on Instagram. I, for one, Brandon, I, I buy way too much shit on Instagram ads because it's like it knows me. Right. And I'm like, oh, hell yeah. I, I need this freaking whistle thing because it helps relieve the stress. <laughs> I, I, bought, I, I bought this on a freaking Instagram ad, right? So how does Brave give people relevant ads to products or services that they need when you don't know anything about them? Good question. So when you think about the way ad tech works on Instagram or Facebook or Google, they're collecting all this data about everybody. And they can put it in a big database and they can do studies and regressions and say, hey, this person looks like that person. That person bought a car. This person might buy a car. Let's show them a car ad. That's powerful, but a lot of it is spammy. They, they guess wrong about you. They show you ads that you don't like, or they hammer you with the same ad over and over. That's called retargeting. What we do doesn't collect any data. We don't want to be a mini Google. Then we'd have a hard time convincing anybody to trust us, even if we did share revenue. So we make the matching happen, not in the cloud, but on your device. And the way to do that is not to have all the ads on your device because they're big and they're video or web pages. We send links to those ads with keywords next to them, one per row in a, in a catalog. And this catalog updates a couple of times a day, and it's not that big. This doesn't use up your data plan. This is kind of like what browsers do to keep track of malware and phishing threats with safe browsing lists or our own uh, filter rule lists for the Brave Shields. We, we update... These, these data files, and in the case of rewards, there's a catalog of ads that you can get identified by their location, their web address, and some keywords. So then the challenge is do the matching with local machine learning. Only when you turn on rewards does this happen. It's like keeping a separate history. All browsers keep history, usually for two weeks. With Brave Rewards, it's a little longer because your value may extend back 30 days. That's a common look back uh, period in, in ad tech. But this separate history can be cleared by you. It doesn't leak out to us. We don't collect that history. But the local machine learning and the ad agent can then say, hey, you've been looking at car sites. I'm going to pick the row in the catalog that has the car or the make and model, for that matter, keyword that our direct sales team already did a deal for. So we're, we're out there doing direct sales and we're working on scaling this out to get more demand partners in, but always with privacy. Instead of surveilling you and pulling your data into our cloud, we push out the offers to the ultimate edge, the browser in your pocket, 
And that's where the matching happens. And then if you do see the ad, we have to confirm that, but that's where that blind signature cryptography I mentioned comes in and in the future zero knowledge proofs. So there are great tools in the cryptographic tool kit that have been developed since the 90s and are especially being used in blockchain projects for keeping you anonymous, keeping you, your identity unlinkable from the particular things you viewed. So all we have to do is get honest counting of the views for an ad to show the ad buyer that the ad performed. They don't need to know about you. They might like to, because a lot of them are a little nosy that way. We don't have that information in our service. We don't want them to have it. We don't need them to have it. And if the ad performed, then they should be happy with, with what they bought. And that's where we share the revenue with you. Brendan, what do you think the number is um, of active users that would put you on Google's radar and go, oh, this is a threat? <laughs> yeah, Google knows about us. But I think uh, when Firefox was still, um, you know, plausibly saying they have like 450 million monthly active users, when it, it was kind of a fragile number, same reason ours is. Uh, it was falling, and a monthly active user is somebody who uses you once a month or more. Well, some users will use you every day but Sunday, and that's a really valuable user. That's almost a daily active user. Whereas other monthly active users just start their Windows PC at home, and it fires up you know, Firefox or Brave from the system tray, but they hardly touch it. That's not a valuable user. So monthly active users is a tricky number, and it's not really well-defined. But if you get into the hundreds of millions, you're on Google's radar. You get 60 million around there like we have. You're on Google's radar. So, so how how do we, you know, th this next step, this has got to be the question that, you know, is in your on your mind is you're going to sleep every night is how do we get to, you know, 100 million, uh, 250 million, you know, yeah. a billion? How do you attain that? Yeah, I do. I do think about this a lot because at some point you're up against the device makers, and they tend to put Chrome in there on the Android OS mm -hmm. as the default, even though they've been spanked by the European comp competitive practices regulator for doing that, uh, that they're not supposed to force Chrome as the default. Um, and in the US, there's been similar, uh, you know, concern on iOS, on the iPhone and the iPad, it used to be only Safari could be the default browser iOS 14, a couple of summers ago, changed this. It was good because uh, a lot of users want Braid to be the default, and finally we could do it. it. I think it happened in part because of competition. I think it happened also due to some, let's say, moral pressure, not that politicians are all that moral, but a bunch of Congress people on a, a antitrust committee sent a letter to Tim Cook. And in that letter, they said, you should allow users to make a different browser or mail app be the default. And by the way, Braid's policy guy helped, helped draft that letter. So there's a mix of policy and competition and uh, finding the right partners that we can use to grow and to get a fair, more fair play uh, playing field. And that's on my mind as we get bigger, because the bigger you get, the harder it is to you know, get onto the, the phones to, to replace Chrome. Uh, you have to find partners who will help distribute you or offset the distribution cost. This is, this is true, especially now. It was even true back in the Firefox days. The Firefox it grew organically very big before Chrome finally, I think in 2011, started to overtake. And by the way, Google has to pay for distribution too because on Windows, as you noted, Edge is the default in Microsoft. Mm -hmm. So Google's in there distributing Chrome somehow, advertising, doing sketchy deals to push it onto your hard disk. Hmm. So let me ask you this then. So, so what do you think is... 
is next? What's what excites you the most kind of moving forward with Brave? Because, you know, you've been here since the very beginning. We're moving into Web3 and you're the one that's helping, you know, in a lot of ways help content creators own their own content. So you're kind of the Web3 browser in my mind, right? Joel's mind. Joel, Joel's a big fan yeah. of Brave. He uses it everywhere and yells at me when I'm not using it. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I need to get off back on that. Why am I doing it? And uh, so it's like, what are, what are some of those things that, like, excite you the most about where you're going? Yeah, I think we are aspiring to be the Web3 browser. Nobody knows what Web3 means exactly, but the best way to predict the future is to invent it, like Alan Kay, mm. Zero Park mm. fame said. And the general notions around it are solid. They're self-custody, self-sovereign identity, user sovereignty, uh, being able to go direct on a blockchain, being able to use IPFS, for instance, for data storage without any concern that someone out there is going to censor you or some you know, nation state is going to do something dire to you. Um, we also have Tor built into Desktop Brave. I don't think that I mentioned that, Tor Private Windows uh, for network privacy. Um, what excites me about Web3 is that I think crypto gets to go social and it needs to, right? If crypto is just a bunch of hex addresses and, you know, signing transactions and it's kind of low level and sort of complex, it's like the internet before the web browser, before Mosaic, let's say. It's like mm -hmm. the old command line internet I used in the 80s. And, you know, email was around then, so it's kind of familiar. But Usenet, we kind of missed the quality era of Usenet. But a lot of stuff like Telnet and um, FTP kind of died for most people. And that's, I think, what needs to happen with crypto. It needs not to die, but to be abstracted and simplified. So you can do what look, looks more like an app interaction or a compound transaction, a meta transaction, instead of doing these little detailed signing and confirming transactions with hex addresses. and using people uh, and trusted identities, pseudonyms as well as real names, to interact with people and to build up reputation is going to be super important. I think this shouldn't belong only to Twitter. Sorry, Elon. It shouldn't belong only to Facebook. This has to be something that's decentralized. And it's, it's hard to decentralize, right? My, my best idea right now is that you actually don't want to try to get compete with Twitter. I don't want to do a brave Twitter. I want to do uh, a front end in brave that disaggregates social and then lets you re-aggregate it. Sort of like that news, Brave News I mentioned where the RSS feeds can be matched against your interests locally. So I want my Twitter friends, if they move to Mastodon, I want to keep track of them through my private address book, which I, which I have, part of my Mac OS and iOS. I want to even resurrect them on a thread where they seem to have disappeared because they left Twitter and got kicked off Twitter. I can find them, I can superimpose comments from different sources. In some ways, you can imagine that, that YouTube becomes just video hosting if it weren't for this social aspect where people comment. And that could be lifted out of YouTube and into the browser, and, and the comments could be stored on IPFS or even on your Dropbox or iCloud because they aren't that big. The personal Twitter, Twitter posts I do, even with images, is, is less space than my home you know, pictures and videos of my kids. So there, there's something to be said for user-first it uses all the tools. It uses your private cloud. It uses uh, IPFS, which is not a blockchain, but it is a peer-to-peer -peer network. It uses blockchains. It uses, um, you know, the browser storage. It uses the browser's ability to compose and decompose um, or disaggregate content. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna preach it, everybody, and say if you're still using Chrome, 
You don't need to. It's a it's a real easy switch, gang, to export your bookmarks and then uh, bring them into Brave. Go to brave.com. You can download it right here. And uh, you're you're a hero, Brendan. Uh, so much so that when we did Blockchain Heroes all those many years ago, I've got to show you this. Uh, one of the heroes was inspired by you. His name was Courage. <laughs> And uh, he's he's got some look at the thighs on this guy here. I mean, he's like all muscle. He didn't skip leg day. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> not at all. Well, dude, we uh, we appreciate you coming. Those are some serious pecs, too. By the way, I want to say I admire that how swole you are over there, courage. Yeah, I used to lift, though. I I, I wasn't eating as right as I, I came to be later in life. Now I eat too well. So. That's good. Well, it's, easy, easy, it's easy to do. We really appreciate it, brother. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. A lot of fun. Always great to talk to the movers and the shakers of the technology space. What an, what an honor to speak to Brendan. He's also a real down-to-earth, humble dude uh, in spite of all of his massive accomplishments. I loved it. I like to have him on again. This dude's killing it. And I love how you, how you mentioned it, but I love how... He's like, oh, my God, people are using the image and they're using JavaScript to track people. I got to unravel this. So it's like he literally stopped and, and, and said, I got to make this right. And then he worked on a solution. A lot of times people, what they would do is, oh, look at how much money we can make now with online advertising. I want to become a patrillionaire. And uh, but instead, he said, no, nope, let's give this money back to the people. Let's build a better solution. And we're going to do it together. And to me, like this dude's, this dude's way up here in my book. Yep. Now, if uh, those so, you can't see, that's like I just raised my arm, like it's, high. It's way up there. It's you it's raise off it so the high. video screen. It's off the it's video. It's so screen. high. I can smell what's coming out from under your your. Pants. No, no, no. I took a shower today. <laughs> we don't have proof of that. Uh, I have proof of shower. POS. <laughs> Sherpa derpa, back at you. Sherpa derpa, monkey monkey. So time is running out to get your Bad Crypto Nifty Club membership. If you want the Brad Mills NFT, hopefully you heard that episode number 651 um, that was released here just a few days ago and uh, and got your Bad Crypto NFT membership card. This is the NFT that we're getting ready to release. Of course, you can't hear it right now, but it is a two-minute video NFT. It is a bonus add-on to the episode exclusively for those of you in the Bad Crypto Nifty Club. You're going to get this airdropped to you for free. How do you get it? Well, real easy. You need to go to the Bad Crypto Podcast site on uncut.fm. It's badcrypto.uncut. .fm, and then you're going to uh, go into the um, the NFTs, and I believe right down here at the bottom, that's the one you want. You want the Bad Crypto Nifty Club, 0. 0.002 wrapped ETH. That's all it is. You could pay with ETH. You could even pay with a credit card if you want. Once you've got this, you're in the club, and the free airdrops that we send go to people who are holding these. So. What's your excuse? Go get it. They're rare. It says so right here on the screen. I love this. So yeah, go check it out. Hey, what about this? We haven't talked about doing an NFT for, for Brendan Ike. What if we take a blockchain heroes and make a brand new version of it and create a new courage only for the uncut folks? Just just on Polygon. Um, I just like that. that. 
I like that. So yeah. now you got two reasons to get your bad crypto nifty club membership. Um, we're going to create another variation of courage, uh, blockchain hero, and it will be airdrop. This will be our first. Will this be the first Polygon? No, we worked with uh, Limpo and did a few uh, exclusive variations on their platform. But this will be the first one for the Bad Crypto Nifty Club. Yeah, and then all those 60 million people over on Brave better get one because, well, all 60 million couldn't because there's not that many of those Bad Crypto Clubs available. But thanks for tuning in. I'm really glad you tuned in. And, uh, you know, Brendan is amazing. I'm really pleased that we had a chance to chat with the guy. Absolutely. And we appreciate you guys. Thanks for bearing with us. Your favorite DeFi, DoFi, your Sherpa and Derpa. <laughs> I, like the, I like those names. Uh, make sure you do go review. Five stars is preferred. And we also, we have a bunch of voicemails uh, that we're going to be playing for you. Or maybe we played on the last episode. I can't remember when we used them because we recorded this interview before Monday's news show. Because we want the news to be current. You know, we're out of order so that we can be in order. And if that makes any sense to you, then you are already following our instructions. Stay back. Crypto Podcast is a production of Bad Crypto LLC. The content of the show, the videos, and the website is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It's not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice of any kind. You shouldn't make any decisions as to finances, investing, trading, or anything else based on this information without undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional financial advisor. Please understand that the trading of bitcoins and all alternative cryptocurrencies have potential risks involved. Anyone wishing to invest in any of the currencies or tokens mentioned on this podcast should first seek their own independent professional financial advisor.